Welcome to Mentoring Moments. Mentoring Moments is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast. It is composed of clips taken from Jason's one-to-one and group mentorship sessions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Barada Sahu from Mason. Welcome, Barada. Thank you for having me here, Jason. Excited to be here. Uh, love to talk uh, and love to share. Yeah, my absolute pleasure to, to host you today. I had Kaus from Mason on, uh, I think it was about a year ago. We had a fantastic conversation. She's had me on her podcast a couple of times. So, uh, and she's your co-founder at Mason and you're now CEO and you guys have been building Mason for about six and a half years now, which is a long time. And for those that don't know and haven't heard the previous podcast episode, Mason is a workflow automation tool for e-commerce and you work as an essential bridge or glue that ties a whole lot of internal workflows, process workflows, automations to do with apps, et cetera, together to bring a level of efficiency to e-commerce operations that is difficult to achieve any other way. But we're going to have you on as a guest mentor today. We're not really going to talk too much about Mason apart from how AI, you've woven AI into Mason to achieve efficiencies of scale. Well, really what we want to talk about today is what brands can do to better prepare themselves for the coming of AI across every single facet of their business. Tell us how you even got into the space to, to begin with. Yeah, it's interesting that you speak about AI as it comes to commerce today. And it's obviously the rates ever since the, we saw a chat GPT release about at the start of the year. But honestly, AI has been happening for a while. And maybe if I just talk about my own personal journey as to how it has evolved. I, the first half, I talk about, I work with big tech. I work with uh, most of the enterprise customers that you'd see about products that we use, consumer products that we use about in the world. And spent a bunch of time building out systems over there and products over there. It was a good phase. It was the pre-startup era in India as well. And I'd spent a bunch of time across the world building products and seeing how some of these products really impacted consumers across. But really, as I came back to India and I started working over here, the real fuel over here was that the startup ecosystem was evolving over here when I started out. And it was super exciting phase to be in where you really had to use all your knowledge, but really could build things out, which could apply for a lot of consumers, both locally, but also where you could build software, which could really spread across globe. Because the internet really had placed that barrier to making software more accessible. As part of that, there was a lot of things that interested me personally. It was a lot of it was about how do we leverage data, build software, build workflows, and eventually bring it into how do we make more intelligent decisions over the time. And that's really been a journey of building both for the marketplaces. I built my first startup, which was essentially a pass, helped you to build applications across on mobile, on web for enterprises. I exited that to a Walmart acquisition in India called Flip and spent a couple of years out there building out some of the revenue infrastructure, some of the engines that really power commerce at marketplaces. Saw firsthand how data was really being leveraged to apply both intelligence in terms of what experiences consumers want at the forefront and how personalization could really make a big difference in the whole shopping experience. And I saw that, you know what, this is what most brands today would need as they kind of set up their own stores. And while it was becoming all of that, my own journey was that, hey, can we leverage a lot of these learnings, use a lot of these data and enable brands to now take this to take more decisions on the fly. This commerce is complex as for a lot of people who are setting up their brands and how do we make it easier for them to run commerce. And that was really this whole journey of saying that, hey, can I use all of this fact that we have learned and a bench over at marketplaces and use that to bring brands globally. Yeah. That's been a little bit of my own personal journey in terms of how I have kept on moving. I'm someone who loves doing things hands-on. I, I has, uh, I've been an engineer in the first half. It's still a large part of my own identity where I identify with. I love uh, tinkering around and building things. And, and it's been exciting to build it together with Cos and the rest of the team together where we bring something that's really helping brands today. Yeah, I think what you guys had when you came up with Mason, I think that what you guys, the vision that you guys had was pretty ambitious, I think, to be able to automate. It's a, it's effectively almost like an RPA platform in terms of 
being able to automate a lot of the internal processes that a business would have to go through, for example, to get a, a campaign live, for example, and all of the changes that need to be made to app settings, discounting mechanisms, being able to update the storefront and be able to put up the workflow of putting up banners and making sure that all of the loyalty platform is configured correctly for these promotions and these campaigns. Make sure that the maybe a free shipping threshold is, is reset for a, a specific category or whatever it might be. And so I think you guys had an ambitious vision with Mason to be able to take this concept of automation to e-commerce in ways that really hadn't been applied to e-commerce before, where operationally doing anything inside of an e-commerce business is, is a cross-functional effort. To, to do anything significant in e-commerce, it's a cross-functional effort across the entire business to get ready for a specific promotion or a sales period or a wholesale change to a catalog or any of those major changes that you run on an operational basis for e-commerce, these are, it's a heavy lift. It's a very heavy lift. And if you have something that is, is if you have a workflow that applies to say a marketing campaign that would apply to every single marketing campaign that you run, why wouldn't you want to automate as much of that process as possible so that nothing gets missed really? It's almost like a, it's almost like a checklist, right? Okay, we're, we want to run a campaign. These are the 36 things we have to do to get right, to make sure that we don't miss anything, that we don't over discount or that we don't run a campaign longer than we should or that a banner, a promotional banner gets missed or whatever the case may be. It's a major lift for brands to operate a, a calendar of initiatives throughout the year to make sure that they're continuing to secure new customers, to make sure that they're increasing their AOVs, to make sure that they are resonating with their customers and they're bringing value to their customers at the end of the day, and to make sure that runs without a hitch. Big process, big heavy lift. I've worked with lots of brands over the years and it's a major lift. And how do you think, when we start thinking about machine learning and AI at scale, we're probably at least a decade away from any significant AGI, but narrow AI is here and, and it's being used in a myriad of ways, right? And I think that ChatGPT has opened, opened the consumer's eyes to what is possible with AI today or giving them a glimpse, a little taste, a little tease of what's going to be possible with LLMs and widespread use of those LLMs in all forms of software. And I think that from my perspective, one of the things that's still lagging or missing from LLMs in general is the ability to conversate, meaning that you want to interact with software. Ideally, from my perspective, I don't want to have to type. I don't want to have to craft a query. I want to be able to speak to my software. I want to be able to tell my software what to do, and it goes and does it. I want it to be able to, if it doesn't understand my question, I want it to be able to ask me follow-up questions. I want it to be able to query me. I want it to be able to prompt me so that it gets the right prompt back to be able to go and execute on what I wanted to execute on. And I think we're, I still think we're quite a ways away from having that be a genuine human level conversation, a back and a forth, a back and a forth, as opposed to I question, it answers, right? But what are you thinking about as a software developer, as an engineer, what are you thinking about, A, in terms of weaving more AI functionality, not only into Mason, but how do you think it's going to affect the entire future of software and the way that we interact with it over the next, say, five to 10 years. So I actually can do it's very interesting points that you isn't I think fundamentally our interfaces with software, I think is going to evolve. It's like today we are used to screens. We spend a lot of our time on, and honestly speaking, we want the screens to fade away. And you want to interact with the world around us. And software should really enable that, right? The whole digital space should be, like, it's no different from us having this conversation. We should be able to speak to our software and be able to instruct it or to have that back and forth conversation with it, where it's actually understanding my intent and then going about and doing things, right? But we actually end up doing those things and we spend a lot of time doing those things today. And that's really been the first generation of what we see there, there was obviously we had desktop and then we had cloud computing and that really helped people to get online, do all these things asynchronously. Then there was communication wave and now the AI wave is really helping us bring these abilities into the software where the interfaces start fading away, where we have more natural interfaces to software, we can have those conversations. And I think it's going to not just affect how we build software, also how software gets built itself in some sense, right? 
I'd like to say, and I, I see that the early days of this happening already with, I think, uh, pretty sure that you must have heard about Microsoft Copilot offering, where they're trying to bring it into every offering. And my brother incidentally happens to work at Microsoft when he's telling about how some of those ambitious things that they're doing today, that they're trying to make software interfaces invisible, where there's a more natural interface to where they can, you can feed in instructions more in natural language and then the software tries and goes and executes these instructions. It's happening in narrow domains, like you'd say, because obviously, and I would say that it's happening in narrow domains is because also our domain knowledge to a certain extent is specialized, right? We cannot expect a general purpose understanding of the world because the world is more complex. There's a lot of different things that we do. And oftentimes are like, even if you put in a guy who's experienced in commerce and ask them to operate in finance, they take some time to learn the domain. You don't expect a software to do that if you put that. Today, our LLMs are more like that, right? Our LLMs have general purpose understanding of the world, but the specialized learning is where we need more explicit instructions. We need more training of these systems where they can understand the domain a lot more deeper. And that's really going to unlock this where you see business use cases for us where we can have this very natural conversation because we are specialists within a domain, but we're generalists in the world per se. And then we go and learn a new domain. And so we'll have to train these AIs over a period of time. That's going to be maybe the more immediate, the next one, two years of where AI is going to get applied. I think that's going to be the immediate thing. You're going to see more specialized AIs emerge within domains. But then as you go down, the more general purpose abilities will be, hey, like today we have the ability for software to generate speech and generate images. And that's still in its infancy, I would say, image generation. I still see there's maybe some generation models that need to evolve before they can really generate images, which really makes sense in real business sense, because today we definitely see it applicable for games, but not really maybe for more practical use cases, say product images are still really up to the standard where you can say that it's not an AI gen, right? Or maybe in French images are still not up to the standard. We can't recognize it yet. And there's still gaps over there. And I think it will need some generational evolution, but I think beyond the speech and image generative abilities, where we'll start to see is that there are four generations. So software, which rewrites itself. And I think it's, if you look at it, I like to take a step back and think of it more like how as humans, we have the ability to change our thinking. We have the ability to rewrite ourselves. I think what we are doing is that also building these AIs, which can rewrite themselves a little bit. And then they start becoming a little smarter within its own. And I think that will be the next generational evolution. I'm hoping that will probably where code will start getting generated with co-pilots, maybe not fully automated, but with co-pilots. And that's already uh, happening in chunks, but I see we'll see more of that in the next five years. And so what that often means is okay. probably unlock a whole lot of people who are now ability to edit the environments that they work. Right? They can instruct them and they can change the code that gets generated. And thus the interfaces that we interact with will evolve, right? So I think that will be the next five years where we'll start to see a lot more of that. On the edge side, I'm more excited about everything that's happening on the alignment side, where I think even as we more deep dive into AGI, I want to definitely see AGI, which is more aligned with human values. So I definitely see that's one area I'm more excited to see more stuff coming. Yeah, I think the concept of AGI and AI ethics, I, th I think it's a difficult one, mainly because I've spoken about this before. I've done entire podcast episodes on it solo podcast episodes where I've talked about the concept of AI ethics almost being a joke in the sense that we can't even agree globally what the age of consent should be. And that it, it, you would think that the age of consent would be one of the most fundamental things we as humanity could agree on. And we have the age of consent ranging in some countries from 12 years old to the age of 18 to 20 in some countries, right? And so if we can't even fundamentally agree on what the, one of the most basic things that I think we should be able to agree on, which is when should people be able to effectively procreate? When should they be able to have sexual relations with someone? You would think that would be an easy one. You would think that we should all agree. But even when I moved from the United States to New Zealand, initially in, in the United States, the age of consent is 18 years old. In, the age of, in New Zealand, the age of consent is 16. And when I moved to New Zealand and I heard this, I was like, wow, this feels like anathema to me. This feels strange to me. It feels weird 
that you might go into a club and there might be a, a 16 year old in, in that club that was painted up and looks, looks like she's 20, 22 years old, but she's 16 because the age of consent is so young. And that felt a little weird to me coming from a country where the age of consent was 18 and the age of drinking consent was 21. It felt very strange to go to a place where the age of consent was 16, the age of drinking in adult bars effectively was 16. That felt very weird to me, right? And, and it feels like the concept of AI ethics is almost an impossibility. When we have such a big gap on what we as humanity, we see this in, we see this in, in the wars in Ukraine, the Middle East, et cetera, we, we have such a wide variation of what we as humanity believe is in our hearts. We genuinely believe what the difference between right and wrong is. And when we believe when two human beings can fundamentally disagree 180 degrees on something that's right versus wrong, how are we ever going to agree on AI ethics? It feels like an impossibility to me. Does it feel like an impossibility to you? Yeah, so I think while agreement might not be there fundamentally around ethics, and I think as you well know, most societies have ethics which are also specific to societies because that's how we have evolved and what would be considered unethical in other societies. And I think if you go back a few hundred years, things which are completely unethical back in those societies that today consider ethical and vice versa as well, right? So I think ethics evolve over a period of time, but generally on, if you say at a world level, what we generally aligned on is probably like extinction of a species is something that we were aligned on as a species. Right? And I think that's the bigger problem today with AGI research at least is where can we figure out like, hey, and this goes back to saying that, hey, if you don't have diversity, if you have unity as a species, then the species tends to look at another species very differently. And I think if AGI happens, it's a new species, it's the birth of a new species. So I think there we probably need to align that can we coexist as a species? Because even if it is, it's intelligence and intelligence tends to have its own evolution side. Them. And so I think that's probably the first question that we need to answer on. Now on the other aspects of AI, which is basically how is it going to align to human values? What are the kind of human values it is going to look at? Are those human values going to be consistent across and different areas? I think those are definitely gray areas, right? Because I think once you bring forth an artificial intelligence which can think on itself, I don't know whether we have the same degree of value alignment. I think the first thing that we probably need to value align is that can we coexist together as a species? I think to a certain extent, we have managed to coexist with other animals, although we have been the dominant species on this planet and we have led to a fair bit of extinction of other species, but have managed to coexist. And I think that's probably the more thing that's probably playing on top of other people's head work, working on alignment today over these, how do different values percolate across? And I think that's basically probably where I'm more concerned about today, alignment. Yeah. That. Now, obviously, AGI, I still, I'm with you. I think we still got to figure out a large part of problems over there, a lot of hard problems to figure out. I don't think this is something that we should probably think about solving today, and we probably are not the right people to be solving for it. But I think given the fact that we're on the path to working on those problems, I think we should definitely be having the conversations because it's super important for us to align that, hey, we need to coexist. That's something that I think the world needs to agree I agree. I think that Elon Musk, I think, was the one that told the ant story about how when we as human beings go to build a, a highway, a motorway, we don't, we might kill a million ants or a billion ants or a trillion ants, but we don't kill a trillion ants building a highway because we hate ants. We build, we kill a billion ants or a trillion ants as a byproduct of us just being human beings and wanting to advance our species, wanting to advance our ability to communicate, want to advance our ability to engage in commerce and transport, et cetera. And so he said, that's the biggest concern about AGI is the fact that AGI will eventually develop its own agendas. It will eventually develop its own view of the world. It will eventually develop its own thought, for lack of a better term, around how it can best further its goals, further its ideas of the world, its vision of the world, to where it can assure its continuity as a unique species, as you, you like to put it. So to me, it feels like the fundamental difference between AGI and human beings is the fact that, that AGI is not bound by the same human limitations of our physical body. So the, the thing that has ultimately capped human progress down through millennia is the fact that our body is relatively fragile. So we can only go 
into certain, when we think about going into the Arctic regions, we had to develop special clothes. We had to develop special vehicles. We had to develop, we had to develop special habit habitats. We had to develop all sorts of technology, even to be able to get into those regions, let alone live and persist in, in those regions. And the same in arid regions, in desert regions, et cetera. You know, the spread of humanity across the globe has been slow. It's been arduous and it's been very challenging. Some of it has been physical adaptation with darkness of skin, et cetera. But a lot of it has been building tools and capabilities to live in regions that our body was not designed to naturally live in, right? And it feels like those human limitations now become chinks in the armor of human beings that AGI will not have, that it is not subject. Sure, silicon has certain limitations and extremes of heat and cold, yes, but ultimately when that consciousness, for lack of a better term, could be instantly transmitted globally, instantaneously at any time with perfect memory and perfect replication of itself in multiple places at multiple times, it feels like that becomes a challenge around, do we as a species survive in the face of widespread AGI? Yeah, no, I think absolutely bang on. I think uh, from uh, all of these problems that have been spoken about today, and I think that's why we need to have those discussions today about how do we have our continuity as a species and what do we do in terms to align it. And I think it's understanding that typically bridges the gap between species. That's really how I uh, look at it. Now, I think for the challenges around, hey, in some sense, our DNA is also a limitation. Like we, we have a lifetime of 100 years, 120 years. Now, if we can edit our DNA, if we can transfer our consciousness, can we fuse? And so those will be the more kind of evolution. Of, can we figure out a way to actually coexist are our human bodies themselves limitations? And so can we figure out ways to replace parts of our body? And I'm pretty sure there's research happening today in terms of both DNA editing as well as in terms of medical science where we're looking at expanding lifespan. And so we're looking at a lot of these areas which are fundamentally barriers for us in terms of evolution. What could you do if we had 200 years of our life, right? We'd probably be, we'd probably be in a, the early part of <laughs> lifetime if you have to look at it. And so I think there are the, some of these will make it, a lot of these things which will make it for us to look at these problems first of all, and then work on and saying that, hey, as we evolve AI, we look at it in a gradual sense. And I think it was the same part with uh, nuclear bombs. Nuclear bombs, they evolved as a way to look at that Cold War, which kind of happened in between, but they also acted as a deterrent for large part of saying that we wouldn't have these big wars, which led to potential extinction, but have they led to energy more efficient energy. Is there a way for us to also look at hey, climate change would not be something that we have to worry about if we look at alternate sources. So I think there are a lot of those things that we have managed to evolve, but I think we just need to do it more carefully. And I think some of those research that's happening on alignment today is looking to that. I would obviously love to see about more about how can we align AI with commerce needs and how can we look at align AI for business today. And that's super exciting for me because today, while we look at the far future, in terms of what needs to happen with the edge of AI. The practicality also is much like you say, is a lot of the AI today is looking at these very consumer use cases. And there are these where you can allow deviations today in terms of saying that what's the output. It, it, you don't worry too much if a chat GPT goes wrong because you can prompt it back again. You have the context, but can it truly take a decision for you when it's this business operation? You probably don't trust it because it hallucinates, does not have the business context. And there are, that's true about almost every GPT. So we need to create this specialized intelligence, what we're speaking about. And that's what's I'm like a little bit more kicked about in the interim is that can we create more specialized and more diverse intelligence? Because then it also becomes, hey, can we also look at more continuity? Because diversity is what leads to continuity. I always identify. And it's our diversity, in fact, which says that if all of us are similar, then I think it would be a fairly boring word and it would also not be something that we would have much to learn upon. It, I think it's a diversity which also leads to our some bit of conflict, but also some bit of a progress as well. Yeah, so I'm excited about creating this diverse AIs and this more specialized AI. Guys. Hey team, I have a big favor to ask you. Please pause this episode and send the link of this episode to someone you know that you think would enjoy this content. Really appreciate you spreading the word. This is how we grow. We're not a Joe Rogan. We don't have big, massive advertising budgets, but we absolutely want to grow. We want to get the learnings from all of these episodes out to as wide of an audience as possible, and we need your help to do it. 
Thank you. And now back to your listening. Yeah, you make a very good point. It could be that an AGI future is actually just a combination of a bunch of narrow AIs. It, it could be that there's a bunch of narrow AIs that simply through integration, they integrate together seamlessly. So to us, it looks like AGI, but maybe there are super narrow specialized models operating in tandem and in parallel with each other so that it gives the broader AI ecosystem a more holistic view of the world by using all of these specialized vertically very deep verticalization AIs as the foundation for broader AGI, just by the virtue that they're stacking. They're stacking a whole bunch of narrow AIs together in a seamless way to where we as human beings don't recognize it as a stack of narrow AIs. We just recognize it as one an AGI. But I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. I recently started using a platform called Write Blogger. And it, it, it yeah, the reason I started using this platform is because I was searching for a platform that could take my 300 plus blog, that I could take my 300 plus podcast episodes and turn those into blog articles and do it in a way that sounded as close to my natural way of speaking as possible. And Write Blogger, basically, it takes a sample of previous episodes that it can identify your voice. It can identify your tone. It can identify the way that you draw a conversation through. It can even understand some of the, the linguistics that you use, the verbiage that you use, et cetera. And it, it creates that as a baseline tone of voice that it's going to write blog articles on your behalf. And then what it does is it takes the, you just plug in the URL of the YouTube video that you're trying to create a blog article from, and then it writes it as if it was you writing a summary of that podcast episode into a blog article. And I have to say, it's not perfect. I have to make minor edits still, but it is so good that I can now take a, I can convert end to end from the point of plugging in the URL to the point of putting the blog article and pasting the blog article into Squarespace. It takes me seven minutes roughly to do that end to end. Now, if I was to do that 100% manually and listen to each episode and then summarize it in my head and write 500 word blog article, it would probably take me a minimum of an hour to do that from scratch. And, and I can do it now in seven minutes. Now, when we think about the productivity hack that is, and the ability to now extend the SEO reach of my website based on just reusing content that I've already created alongside people like you, the reality is, this is a phenomenal productivity increase, just phenomenal. It might take me 300 hours or 400 hours to take those 300 episodes and do that manually. And now in a fraction of that time, I can repurpose content in new ways. And there's platforms that can take that full length content and create shorts, short videos out of the long videos and do that in an automated way. Like that, that, narrow, that narrow AI is just it continues to impress me. It continues to wow me. The rate of development of narrow AGI and the applications, the vertical specific applications of this technology are just staggering. And when I, whenever I go to look for a new platform to augment my human workflows today, I'm generally looking for a platform that uses AI in some way to augment my workflows. It's just that this has happened in the span of less than a year where now for almost any single manual function that I want to do today, there is some form of AI augmentation to help. That is AI proliferation on a scale we haven't seen before. I would say that it's probably, and I think if you look at it, the internet spread and someone was saying that the chat GPT was a assist to get to 100 million users. If you know, it was basically a month it took it, whereas everything else was in the scale of probably a year. Yeah. And that pretty much what it broke the barrier in terms of how fast the product grows. I think the internet has made it possible for products, technologies to get adopted a lot faster. We get access to more information. We bite in into it. It has made it a lot more accessible. I think as very rightly said, there are these productivity improvements that's in the short run, which is super exciting for us. And there was a lot of work that we had. And so the, around an individual, now you can start a business for you. You run a full business. You don't need to spend that 18 hours a day anymore. You can do it with a very manageable eight hours a day working with an AI in tandem. And so what we'll see is more of these co-pilots, which really improve your workflow, not just work, specialized use cases for businesses. Also, this is going to happen. It means that businesses will start to get more efficient operation. Now that obviously means that 
people working in the businesses, they now start to learn how to work beside these co-pilots. And that's really where I see that there will be lots more evolution in the short term is that how do people adopt these co-pilots? Who will be those early adopters? And where do they know what are the boundaries to make them more efficient, whether it's more productive, whether it's looking at saying that, hey, I can use this combined, a couple of them to automate a few things, which I would otherwise need to get off my hands so that I can focus on new stuff that I can do. Or I can use them to create new ideas, which I can work on, which are, uh, so far we, I had not been able to do because I just didn't have time or it was more complex to execute. And so I see a lot more of that happening in the short run for businesses where businesses are more excited about how do I improve productivity of my workforce? How do I bring in more automation? How do I focus on new areas of business? And so I see that it's more going to enable a lot more of these higher, much more supercharged us as individuals. And then we free up our brain space to look at what can we do more? What can we do next? And so there are hard problems from how do we improve efficiency in terms of our supply chain? How do we ensure that we have more circular economies, don't have more wastage? How do we ensure that we deal with it in a more which does not affect the climate as much? So I think we'll spend more of these in retail. I think that's going to happen more and more where we'll see more of uh, the workforce moving at more harder problems rather than the more operational problems where we're stuck off it because that was the necessity of doing a business today. Yeah. And how do you think of this lens for the average e-commerce store operator? Maybe they're doing, I don't know, maybe they're doing $20 million a year. Maybe they're working in traditional retail or, or B2B for that matter. I see, at, at least through the lens that I'm looking at the market through, I, I think we're going to see B2B e-commerce, which has traditionally lagged behind retail B2C, D2C e-commerce. It's lagged behind somewhere between five and 10 years lagging in the adoption of e-commerce because those industries tend to be significantly more complex. They tend to be the structure of products, the sales cycles, the complexity of pricing, the complexity of quoting, the complexity of configure price quote. The, there's so many in the B2B world that are just, they have no analog. They have no equivalent in the B2C, D2C world. And so that is, that is what has caused B2B lag so far behind from an e-commerce or a digital commerce perspective, from a channel proliferation perspective. It's just been so difficult in the B2B space. And we see that already even B2C, D2C e-commerce in its software stack already leads in the adoption of machine learning AI in terms of search, merchandising, personalization, like all of those technologies that are orientated fairly and squarely at retail, a lot of those technologies haven't yet cross-pollinated into the B2B world. So what do you see as the future of AI as it relates to both retail e-commerce and B2B? Yeah, so I, I think on the, I, I think retail and B2B, I have two separate views. I think retail will start to become more omnichannel and I think it's already happening where basically we'll see more offline integration, integrated online experiences, consumers, because as consumers, we are the same shopper. We end up, whether we walk into a store, whether we are shopping online, we actually expect the same off the brand where we're shopping off. So I think whether you're walking into a store, I expect you to have the same degree of personalization for me. I expect for you to have the same catalog that I can see anywhere. I don't expect whether you have a limited inventory, I expect all the convenience. So as a shopper, I think that's what's going to happen on retail where there will be hyper more ability for me to understand within stores. You see already express checkout and frictionless checkouts where we actually don't need somebody at the counters. We'll see more evolution of shelves, which are like infinite shelves and you can browse catalogs in store. We'll see more experiences within store, which are more immersive. So I think retail will start to go the area where to be able to integrate both online and offline data centers to understand consumers better and how we create more experiences centered around consumers. That's going to be on the retail side. On the B2B, you said that has been very complex. And incidentally, one of those projects that I had initially worked with, uh, Daimler was basically figuring out the whole B2B supply chain for the, uh, manufacturing the cars. And they had like about, I think, 10,000 odd parts back then which they had supplied from different suppliers. And for each of those, they had about a few uh, hundred vendors for different uh, parts. And so you had to manage that entire supply chain complex. Right? And today, I think that's interestingly what you mentioned with AI. A lot of these complex workflows will now start to become smarter. What you had traditionally seen for B2C, which is like a personalization, merchandising, can we get that in front of vendors as they kind of procure all of these, right? Can we get it, make it much more easier for them to order, which is like all of this checkout based uh, enhancements that we start to see. 
Can you make it more relevant to say that when are you going to run out of stuff so that you can actually stop it back? And so you have to be more predictive in terms of when are you kind of procurement, uh, doing procurement of different stuff. So I think a lot of these things that were harder problems are soon going to get much more easier to deal with. And that's where AI's bigger impact will happen. We'll see much more software, which is going to be able to predict a lot of this and bring in these immediate abilities to B2B channels and to uh, B2B commerce. And so the, these are some of those areas that I'm super kicked uh, about, which is one on the consumer experience on retail and on the other side, the business operations, how can uh, embrace more modern commerce techniques on B2B with uh, really playing a significant role. And you, you raise a good point, which is that largely in B2B, for anything to do with commerce, logistics is the game, right? If you don't have it, you can't sell it. And it's that simple. And so brands are oftentimes, especially in today's volatile supply chain world, they're trying to order ahead, they're trying to do better demand planning, et cetera. But it feels like until, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, it feels like until true digital twins exist across the entire supply chain, right? Digital equivalents of physical goods. Until we have that, and it's in it, we develop standards for this across the entire supply chain. Google's making huge efforts here. Oracle's making huge efforts here. There's some very big players. Even IBM is working a lot across digital twins supply chain. It feels like until we develop some standards for logistics, even the bill of lading is largely still a paper-based process and that a physical paper still gets scanned and transported around the ecosystem by EDI, right? There's some companies trying to change that to where digital, a digital bill of lading is only ever a digital bill of lading, right? So, that, so there's some changes coming to supply chain based on AI. What do you think AI's biggest impact on supply chain and logistics around commerce, when do you see that really starting to become the driver of a better global supply chain? Yeah, so I think a large part of AI's today's investments, you also see happening from the larger players. Because honestly speaking, for a smaller player to really take on, they really lack the data, really be able to bring in a significant AI and have a bigger impact on it. And I think while we'll see some of those surface for specialized use cases, I think if you're looking at logistics as an overall, I see some of the larger players in the logistics place uh, players really investing in the data pipelines to now apply more reasoning-based systems to really be able to predict where is supply really, uh, where are the bottlenecks in supply, what are the risk factors. Can we do modeling of where can supply really get affected and can we have preventive measures for that, right? What are alternate routes? So from routing to demand forecasting to inventory, how we plan for inventory. And I think some of those areas that would be the immediate ones, but the people who are really going to be at the forefront of it, is probably going to be the larger logistics players who sit on a lot of data at this point of time and then are going to apply some of these reasoning systems to be able to bring it. And they will probably be the forefronts in this movement. And I think we've seen a large part of that happen in, at least in the AI space as well. A large part of the models are also coming out of these large technology houses today who are at the forefront of innovation. But then the application for some of these in terms of consumer experience or in terms of brand experience or a business experience, that's where I think the smaller players will start to work because they will look at specialized, narrow AGI-based use cases saying that, hey, can I ensure that all bills are now completely digitized and they're completely understandable, right? Those will be narrow use cases that it picked up and those will be more where some of those innovation. Yeah. And what do you think brands need to do? B2B, B2C, D2C, doesn't matter. What do you think brands do in the, because I know a lot of brands that are worried. They're thinking, geez, how, what do we need to do as a business to not get swallowed up by this AI thing, this AI movement? We can't devote 100% of our time to trying to adopt AI into our business. We got to continue to operate and sell stuff so that we can have the money to survive as a business and grow as a business. But we know we can't ignore AI because it's, it's having such an impact on the competitive landscape overall, that we can't ignore that. We can't ignore the impacts that's gonna have on our business. And the fact is, so we're, we're, we feel like we're caught between a rock and a hard place. We know we need to adopt it. We don't know exactly how we need to adopt it or should adopt it. And we don't necessarily know how much resourcing we should put behind adoption of AI into our business. So they feel like they're in quite a bit of a conundrum. So what is your, what, is, what would you be your response with businesses out there that are thinking, geez, what do we do to make sure that we don't get passed by in the market? Yeah, I think first thing is find partners who basically will be able to help them guide them through this transition phase because it's a transitionary phase in software. It was much like the cloud transition phase. We needed partners, the right partners which move them on to 
they need the people who rightly understand the application of this for the use cases. And then obviously prioritize those use cases. Because like you said, there's a lot of snake oil also being done. There's a lot of cool use cases also being done and you need to be able to shape them out through a seed and you need partners who will be able to act as those sheep. So you need to find those right partners for your business. And there's a lot of exciting use cases, right, across the board. But then, like you said, people do not have enough know-how. They haven't operated in this world. And so once you identify partners for specific use cases, what really matters for your business? Is it on the consumer experience side? Is it on the supply side? Is it on the operations side? There are lots of use cases for AI today. But you need to pick your battles and you need to say that I need to have a transition plan across each one of them. And then I basically need to have people who I can work with or teams who I can work with to relate them. Today, I see that already happening with larger teams. I think the starting centers where they basically dedicated looking at what are these new innovations happening, whether it's in product merchandising, whether it's in creation of product content, whether it's in consumer experience in terms of what kind of experiences can be generated for consumers, whether it's omnichannel commerce, whether it's understanding of consumers, to whether it's on the supply side, where basically where I can predict inventory, I can predict how much of material do I need, I can predict who's, which suppliers would be the best one. So I see that a lot of these use cases happening for bigger retailers, for brands, what I would say is that pick your battles, pick your partners. And then I think you have a road forward to how do I really make it work for my business. Yeah. And I think that would be probably be my best advice for brands today. Obviously going in, I, I see that the commerce uh, ecosystem is going to continue to be more complex because as consumers, we are on a lot of different channels. We'll continue to browse across, we'll continue to shop wherever we find convenience. I think for brands, what you need to figure out is that this AI today accelerates your ability to get across on all of these channels today, helps operate your business on all of these channels today. So probably look at partners who can help you get there fast. Yeah. And I think that would probably advice. If I had to almost condense that down, is it a process of simply looking at your business and saying, where do we believe today we're the least efficient? Where do we have bottlenecks in the business? Where do we face the biggest challenges in our business? Are we consistently running out of inventory of our top 10% or 20% of our items sold through the business? Are we having issues with, in our warehousing, getting products out the door and in the door and receipting and shipping? Are we having issues with running campaigns at scale across our business? Are we having issues with, for example, do we know for a fact that we're routinely sending emails to customers who are male and proposing female oriented items to them or vice versa. That we're selling, we're selling the, the incorrect items. Let's say we're selling a supplement that's designed for a female. Are we marketing that to males and it has no relevance to them whatsoever? Are we, are, is, it, is it because we don't have clean data in our system? So therefore the AI, even if we have it, can't make the linkages between our customers and the products effectively. Is it a case of looking at every single feature and function inside our business and saying, where do we think we're having the biggest issues, the biggest challenges? And do we go out there and look for specialists in each of these spaces to help us understand whether an AI-based solution is even available yet for that issue? And then if it's not, if there's not something that's readily available or affordable to our business, we push it down the priority list. And then we move to the next priority. Is it a case of simply looking at areas where we know we're inefficient, where we know we underperform, where we know we like, would like to be better and saying, let's make that our priority list. And maybe AI isn't there yet for every single one of those use cases, but for a chunk of them, it will be. And do we just pick them off one by one within our business? Is it a case of just prioritizing like we would any other prioritization in the business? Yeah, I think that's the right way to think about it is think with your problems and then look for solutions rather than look for what are the solutions and how we fit them to the problem. Right? That's always like easier about how you run about It's work. chicken and egg, right? Yeah. So I think if you're looking at the problems, and I think that's why, like I said, narrow AGI is where the frontier today is for business AI today. And you'll find specialized solutions. And I think today, the only way AI works is that if it's narrow, if you give it a broad domain, I think where it's great at language skills, it's going to hallucinate. And so obviously it's not going to be applicable for a business context. You need to narrow down your problem, you need to say that, hey, I need product content, catalog content for my product ads, right? Maybe that's like a narrow problem. Or I need specialized kind of uh, inventory to be uh, sold in a particular channel and I need an AI which can decide on which, uh, how much inventory needs to be sold on what channel based on what parameters. So I need some AI which can take uh, look at my historical decisions and probably predict for the future year, which channel should I invest in? And so you need specialized AI and that's why you need to look at your problems 
which are going to have the maximum leverage for your business today, for you. And then look for, hey, who's the partner who can help me find a solution? What's the right solution in the market? Is there one existing? Is there one easily doable? Like look at, work with your partners to say that, can I stitch one together? I think it's becoming easier to build and train some of these models and some of these systems as well. You need clean data. You need some of these data pipelines to be worked upon. But I think that's where you probably need to start. Yeah. AI investments. Makes sense. Virata, we're coming to the end of our time together. And I so appreciate your thoughts from the trenches of the AI wars. I appreciate that. You have a lot of experience with AI, building AI into Mason moving forward. What If we look out across the future of Mason as effectively a, 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 an automation platform, how are you already using AI in Mason today? And if we look out over the next 12 to 18 months, how will you integrate AI yourself into your own technology that you're building? How do you prioritize the integration of AI into your own platform? So uh, I have two different views. One is obviously we spoke a little bit about some of these narrow specialized use cases where we look at more automated decision. And then I look at a little bit of the longer term view about us as a team embracing AI across the board. Right from how do you write our product maps and a, a plan for a product about what can be done to improve retail and look at some of those edge use cases that can really drive consumer experiences and how can we bring in automation to power those because they were much more difficult to do otherwise. Saying that, how can we generate code as well, right? Which can basically redirect some of this software, make them more fail resilient at times or make them improve themselves over a period of time and improve the productivity of our engineers, of our programmers improve the productivity of our teams, improve the productivity of our data teams to take decisions, right? I see both of those areas that we are today investing in. Is that one on our team side who can adopt AI to make themselves better and uh, create better software to the other part where on the business use cases where we look at more specialized AI use cases today. And that's where uh, the frontier today for us is. The uh, world for us is, uh, as I see Mason fast forward into the future, it being an integral part of how do we enable commerce across the board uh, from all different channels that consumers today shop on and for brands to really get there faster. Today, this is largely possible for larger retailers. Obviously, for smaller brands, you'd say still they pick their own channels, whether it's D2C, whether it's B2B, starting up with, oh, whether it's marketplaces, they probably pick up on that, but really not beyond that. So I see that really the future uh, for us is basically, can we invest in basically building some of these building blocks for helping brands who across on all channels be wherever consumers are shop. Amazing stuff. And how do you like people to get a hold of you? Where would you like people to reach out to you? I'm on uh, I usually active over there. I sometimes check in my Twitter, not too active over there, but yeah, but you can hold me on any of these places. Please you do connect with me. I'd love to share ideas. I'd love to connect and speak with people. Please hit me up over there. Amazing. I'll put all of your links into the show notes for your LinkedIn profile. And of course, the link to the Mason website. Now, as we come to the close of our time together, I like to always turn the microphone over to my guests, let them ask me one question, any question they like can be personal or professional. Barada Sahu from Get Mason, what is your question for me today? Yeah, so I think just continuing on this theme of about like your own personal interest in AI and like how do you see yourself kind of embracing? I think you spoke about a couple of use cases for you personally, but even looking beyond say just the work frontier, how do you see that future of AI for you? I personally enabling you as a person, I would love to come uh, you and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I, it just extends on what I said before. I don't want to have to click around my screen. I don't even necessarily want to have to use any specific device to access software, to interact with software. I want to be able to have, and I, I look, I'm following the hardware development in the AI space quite heavily. There's a lot of devices coming to market, like from pendants that are automatically integrated with your smartphone in your pocket to where you can speak and you can interact with a pendant on your neck or that it's, it's listening to your conversations so that it can take your sentiment analysis. It can do sentiment analysis. Uh, it can analyze, maybe it's a sales conversation that you're having and it can analyze your voice and it can analyze the words that you use and it can give you feedback on how to be better at that. It, it can give you real, almost real-time feedback on how you're doing daily tasks and how you can make those efficient, more efficient, how you can make them better with, without even necessarily being asked. It just, it, it's analyzing your life and saying, how can we optimize these specific areas of your life? And I think that's a very interesting frontier for me. And I think for me, having to manually interact less with software full stop 
and being able to just conversate with all the software that I use on a regular basis. For me, that feels like a super important frontier to bring efficiency across my entire life. That this paradigm, this device specific paradigm of being able to use software in specific circumstances, as opposed to my operating system, for example, understanding at a fundamental level, when I say, for example, I should be able to say to Windows, when I sit down here to record a podcast, I should say, shut everything off, turn everything off, except for this one browser window running Riverside FM, shut everything else off, shut all the other apps off, close everything down, shut all my communication apps off and open up a browser with the Riverside tab, logged in, authenticated with my recording studio for the podcast open and running. Like I should be able to say that and it should do, instead of me having to click around the screen, close all the extra tabs, close all the other apps down, close down Slack. Like I should just be able to tell it, do all these things for me and, and I'll come back in 30 seconds and, and my screen is ready to go. I should be able to, I should be able to just tell my software to do these things. And I, and I feel like that's, that shouldn't be a big ask. That, those simple tasks of interacting with software should not be a difficult thing to do as of 20, nearly 2024. And it feels like that alone would so impress people and it would get people to that Jetsons-like future faster. Like when we watched the Jetsons, they had the, little, they had the little robots running around. They had screens in the wall that they just spoke to and that asked them questions and interacted with them like a human. We have envisaged this level of interaction with software and hardware for multiple generations, we've envisaged this. And it was early science fiction that painted this picture for us. And I think we're very close to being able to do that. And I just, I don't fully understand why software has been so slow to embrace this type of interface, this conversational interface, but it feels like the tooling is 100% there now to make this happen. And I feel like even if software vendors were afraid that this would be too big of a change too fast, then why don't they just make a switch inside the software where I can use the traditional point and click interface or I can use the conversational interface? Like why, when I go into reconcile accounts inside Zero, why can't I conversate with Zero to make that happen? Why do I have to take 53 mouse clicks to reconcile my accounts? That's ridiculous. It should ask me questions. <laughs> this be reconciled with this? Yes. And then we, we conversate. And I think that dual interface model should become the absolute norm from tomorrow. I, th I think literally tomorrow. Okay, do you want the cursor-driven point-and-click interface or do you want the voice interface? And if the voice interface fails for a task, we can default you back to the point-and-click interface if necessary. Uh, but, I, but I think every single piece of software moving forward should have that dual interface available. Yeah, no, I think it's super exciting. One thing that you uh, mentioned was about uh, early uh, science fiction. And you know what? I, I dig science fiction a lot, especially hard science fiction. And uh, one of those things, uh, one of those favorite novels of mine was this book uh, series called Ender's Game. It was uh, by Austin Scott, a card. And he had this AI sitting on his ear and he, he could really conversate with his, to control his entire th set of things that he needed to operate on. And I think really we need to fast forward to get there. And I think, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think it is uh, lovely talking to you, Jason. It was really good having a chat with you. If you'd like to get mentored by Jason for free, head over to greenwoodconsulting.net, scroll to the bottom of the page and click Get Mentored by Jason.